Okay. Good morning. All right. I got the message. <laughs> All right, you guys, listen up. I want to uh, thank you for your attention this morning. Um, I have had on my heart for a long time what I think is the most important lesson that I can possibly give any person alive. And that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. If you have an interest in having a very enjoyable, joy, joyful life, I can provide to you the secrets of success. And this should not be a mystery. But to a large degree, God's will for our future is not known all at the same time. God's will for our future can be known at the right time in absolute perfection. Let me ask you this question. Let's start with a baseline. And it's a baseline that if it's not established, everything else we're going to talk about this morning is irrelevant. There is a central truth about God's will for each and every person in here that you must know already. What is it? What is the will of God concerning every person in this room right now. You know it. To be saved. That is exactly it. And if that premise has not happened in your life yet, or if it does not ever, then everything from this moment forward in our discussion does not apply to you. That's the baseline. In Psalms we read this verse. For this God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even unto death. Whose God is it? Be more specific. Mine, I heard. That's great. Why? For those of you who said mine, why? Because you are Christians. You are already a part of his plan, if you will. You have already come to know the baseline upon which all other joy and happiness can occur in your life. Would it not be appropriate, or advantageous, I should say, for each and every one of you to know what God's will is for you? Doesn't that give you an amazing advantage over the rest of the world? The person, the being that knows everything that will happen in your life from this moment forward, as long or as short as it may be, would it not be advantageous for you to have a relationship with him in such a way that he can provide you absolute understanding of what his perfect will is for you for the rest of your life and each day going forward? Wouldn't that provide you an amazing advantage in life? Now, let me ask you some questions which you don't need to raise your hand to, but think about them anyway. And you, you may not know the answer to these questions, and that's okay. How many of you know 
what God's perfect will is in your life as it relates to your career. You don't have to raise your hands. If you do, that's okay. Think about it. How many of you know, as you're approaching college, or you may already be there, some of you, what God's perfect will is for you as it relates to the course of study, the college that you're to choose, etc.? How many of you know for certainty what God's perfect will is concerning who your spouse should be, or if you should even have one? All of those questions, God wants you to know the answer. He does not want you to guess. He doesn't even want you to be convicted. He wants you to go beyond conviction and know what it is. Now why? Why? Let me, let me throw some issues at you that sometimes muddle our view of, quote-unquote, the word conviction. Conviction is a good thing, and I don't want to get uh, any misunderstanding uh, about that out there. But the word conviction can, can be distorted by our own personal preferences, our own personal prejudices, good and bad. They can be influenced by things like emotion, like love, like lust like those kinds of things. And we can, because we are human, find ourselves blending all that stuff together and we find, quote-unquote, a conviction, if you will. And unfortunately, sometimes we are convicted by those things that have influenced us rather than by the perfection of God's Spirit and absolutely, positively knowing His will. You know, the, the issues of life that can ruin your life are things like finding yourself in a position in life, whether it's on the job, especially on the job, and most importantly in marriage. Uh, if you make a mistake in those things, your life can be a nightmare. There are countless examples of that in the world, are there not? People in jobs that they loathe. They go to every day because they have to, and they actually hate it. That's, that's a horrible, horrible way to go through life. Being married to the wrong person is a horrible way to go through life. God's will is that He would be our guide even unto death. Let's talk about the word guide for a minute. What does... If, if the Lord is our guide, what is our responsibility? Give me some feedback here. Follow. To follow? More specific. Or, I'm sorry? Trust. Trusting the guide. Great. Obeying. Obeying the guide. Following the guide. What else? Putting faith in the guide. In the guide. Right. Anything else? Not running in front of the guide. Wandering from the guide. Um, I think of, I think of uh, an example this morning that I saw. Uh, we're, we're, leaving our, uh, we're leaving our building after, uh, after breakfast. A father and a, I'm going to say a two-year-old boy, both got distracted. The father had a form on his mind. 
the little boy had, was distracted by something else, and all of a sudden I hear a scream. And the little boy now is separated from his father by two glass doors and about 20 steps, and the little guy is just beside himself. You see, he, he lost track of who he was following. And all of a sudden, he's in sheer panic. <laughs> and his father, distracted by what he was thinking, doesn't realize the little guy's gone. Now, fortunately for us, God won't do that. But we, as certainly the followers, can get distracted. So that's our responsibility, all right? Now, in, in following a guide, what about the pace? Let's say the guide sets a pace. What is our responsibility then? And or? <laughs> yeah, or stop. I mean, it, 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 may be, it may be that the guide has, has stopped his motion. And if we are truly following in, in the way that we should, then we'll stop also. And we will keep pace, if you will, with the guide. If we're truly in sync with him, and that's, that's the issue here, is being truly in sync with the guide. Let me give you, uh, let me give you a, a, a quote here from Jeremiah. Because this applies to every person in this room because it speaks about young people. Listen to what Jeremiah had to say. It actually speaks to all people. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Why? Give me some feedback here. Why? Why is it not within our capacity to do that. We can't see the future. Anything else comes to mind? We're prejudiced by all the things we talked about earlier, right? All of those things come into play. We're influenced by other people, other emotions, other factors coming into the situation. So it's not within you, it's certainly not within me, to direct my steps going forward in life. I don't have the capacity to do that. I don't have the understanding. I don't have the intelligence. I can't see the future. There's nothing that I can contribute to this other than being a good follower of the guide. That is my responsibility. Let me give you some, uh, some real-life examples that I have either experienced myself directly because they applied to me in my life or I have been involved in counseling of others by which I cannot obviously divulge uh, the nature or the people involved. So I won't do that. And don't ask. <laughs> but when I'm involved, I'll tell you. Uh, because it's important to you, for you to know uh, when that's the case. I want to start out because, uh, you know, let's face it, I would be willing to suggest that every single person in this room has at least had a passing thought about marriage somewhere down the road. I would suggest that everybody has had a passing thought. Hopefully not a consuming thought, but a passing thought. <laughs> so let me tell you a couple stories here. Some, actually many years ago. Many years ago, I had a young, a young brother come to me with a very serious problem. The Lord had laid upon his heart a conviction to marry a particular sister. 
And he absolutely knew that was God's will. He had it revealed to him through a method that he had used in searching the scriptures, in praying to the Lord, and he knew for a 100% certainty who that person was to be. He came to me and he said, Brian, I have this problem. I have come to this conclusion. I have shared it with my parents, and my parents disagree on who it should be. Well, now I'm in the picture. You want to be between a rock and a hard place? That's the place to be. <laughs> Thank the Lord that he gave me some instruction here. Because, in truth, it would be the same thing that I would do for myself if I were in that situation. And I said to, I said to this young brother, I said, you know, I know your parents. I know that they respect the will of God. And all that needs to happen is the will of God has to be revealed to them. Do you believe with all your heart that you know the will of God? He said, I do. I said, well, then it's very simple. The remedy to this situation is to make sure that your parents also have that experience in knowing what the will of God is. And this is what you need to do. You need to go to your parents and you need to collectively decide to lay out a fleece before God. And do you believe with all your heart that you are correct in your conviction? He says, I do. I said, well, then in that case, you should have the faith that this fleece before God will be revealed. Now, I want to, I want to remind you, young brother, that in doing this, you're abiding by whatever conclusion the Lord reveals. So I want you to think about it before you go forward. He said... I have the faith, I'm going forward. And then he had an interesting discussion with his parents. He approached them, and he had already determined in his heart what he thought an appropriate fleece would be. So he lays out this fleece before his parents, and then he waits for the reply. And this is the reply he got. Son, you'd have been small, you'd been much farther ahead to choose a fleece that has at least a remote possibility of coming to pass. Look. He said, Dad, I'm abiding by this. So the father agreed. Within ten days, that which could not happen, happened unto perfection. They have been happily married for many years, several children, and the parents know God's will and can see that manifested in their lives as husband and wife. Who came to know what God's will is in that story? Who? Everyone. Everyone involved. Did God want them to know? Absolutely. How do we know that? Because he showed it to perfection. He completed that which was not possible, at least in the eyes of, quote-unquote, the Father. You know, pick something that has a remote possibility of coming to pass. So the Son, in all his faith and conviction, picks the impossible, you see. Isn't that an amazing example of God 
showing unto perfection his will. Let me give you, uh, let me give you another example. And in this case, um, I'll use myself. Now, why would I be talking to a group like this about a subject like this? I would be talking to this group because I know you're interested. <laughs> I, believe it or not, was your age. I was actually much younger than your age and had fallen madly head over heels in love with a young lady at the tender age of <coughs> 13. <laughs> now, at 13, in an unconverted state, you know, you can't know what God's will is. But thank God, at the age of 14, he called me and I responded to his conviction, repented of my sins, and became a born-again believer. I still love this person. And now I'm 14 years old and a whole long way from, uh, from being an adult that is capable of <laughs> uh, marriage, legally or otherwise. So I have a lot of time to pray, pray about it, right? So I literally begin praying at 14. Four years. Not knowing the will of God. Not knowing the will of God. Not moving forward either, because I don't know the will of God. But given the years that I had to contemplate searching for the will of God, it gave me the opportunity to pray for all of those years that God's will would be done. That He would remove, if you will, the love and attraction that I had for this person, if that was not his will. And that when in eventuality, if it should be his will, sometime down the road and into the future, that he at that time would provide me with the clear understanding of absolutely knowing for certainty what God's will is. Because things like love are not going to influence me into marriage if I don't know it's God's will. You see, in my life, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It does not matter how prejudiced I am for or against something. That is irrelevant to me with, with the following caveat. I have to know for certainty what God's will is before I act. No matter how prejudiced I am. In love or not. You see? Love is irrelevant at that point. The only thing that is relevant is what God's will is for me. Because if I do that, if I do God's will, then I know I have opportunity for tremendous joy and blessing in life. And that, that's the way I approach life. Not only in marriage, but other issues as well. And, and I'll bring you up to speed on some of those. But as I grew older, and as I became of adult age, and as the Lord continued to impress me with the love that I had for this person. Under these conditions, there was no writing, there was no email, there was no such thing as email, there were no phone calls, there was no com communication whatsoever for six years 
with a very few exceptions, like Eastern Camp, because she lived 406 miles from me. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I didn't measure the feet. <laughs> but that's how far she was. So, thank God, he revealed to me in due course what utter perfection in knowing his will is. And I, and I don't need to go into detail about how I came to that understanding. I want to give you her side of the picture because it is really cool. Unbeknownst to me, she was indeed also praying for all of those years for me. And there came the time when the Lord revealed it to me. So I asked my father to write a letter of proposal to her father. Believe it or not, that actually happened. <laughs> I would like to see it happen more. But that's, that's how it happened for us. Now, this is, this is my prop. No, this is my prop because it's blue. I think the envelope was blue. Um, my father wrote her father a letter of proposal. Her father picks up the mail and is thumbing through it and sees an envelope addressed to him from my father. He takes the envelope and, and walks into my what is now my wife's room and she looks at her father seeing a letter in his hand not the address not who it's from and she says to her father dad I know who the letter's from and I know what it's about oh. and they lived happily ever after <laughs> that's that's knowing God's will. That's taking love, heaven forbid, lust, emotion, and other stuff, subserviating that to only knowing what God's will is, because that is all that matters. And He wants you to have that kind of experience. I am not special. I am not unique. I, that nothing like that is reserved for me. It is reserved for those who require in their hearts to know the knowledge of God as it relates to His will in their life. If you want to know that, He is willing to show it to you to the utter perfection that I just described. If you choose otherwise, to involve these other things, then you run the risk of being influenced by those other things, which may not ultimately be the will of God, the downside of which is you have to live with it. <laughs> you have to live with the choice. It doesn't mean that your life is destroyed. What it means is you have, missed about, you have missed out on an incredible blessing that God has reserved for you. I heard a story that I thought was really great um, about a person who, who went to heaven and he was being escorted, es escorted through heaven. And he came by a warehouse 
And this warehouse it was full of boxes. And the escort uh, takes him inside. And the, and the man who went to heaven said, And tell me now, what are all these boxes? And the escort said, These are all of the blessings that God had in store for you on earth, but you failed to ask. Whoa. What a huge mistake. Huge. And I think that story is truly relevant to this kind of an exchange. Let me give you, let me give you one more example, and I could give you others in my life, but this one is real fresh. As, as many of you know, and, and maybe not all of you, uh, I was born and raised in Mansfield, Ohio, and really lived there all my life uh, up until uh, May of last year. The Lord has, has an amazing way of, of uh, leading us if we let Him. If we're subservient to His will, His direction, not running ahead, not running behind, making sure we're right there each step of the way. And as I mentioned earlier, I have to, I have to run my life in that manner because I am not qualified, as we read in Jeremiah, to take these kinds of life-changing events and make changes that I think are appropriate for me and my family. But in this case, as, as the Lord comes to me a couple of years ago and began to work out a change in my life that would take us from Mansfield to Phoenix, there are many other people involved. Because at this point in, in my life, I'd been a minister now in Mansfield for 17 years. And any decision, quote-unquote, and I, and I use that in, in quotes because, in truth, I didn't make a decision, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll share that with you in a second, is now going to affect hundreds of people. Am I qualified to make the kind of move that now will affect hundreds of people? Not just my family, uprooting them and moving across the country, but now we're affecting everyone else. The answer is no, I'm not qualified for that. So any, anything that happens must be understood to be exactly what God's will is. Now knowing that is always the challenge, but he is willing to provide the knowledge and the experiences that will confirm that knowledge. And here's the story. About two years ago, having worked for the same company for almost 20 years, having understood the mechanisms of change that take place in our industry, I, it came to my understanding that my job in Mansfield, Ohio was going to be eliminated. So I called my boss at that time in Columbus, Ohio. Her name was Nancy. I said, Nancy, correct me if I'm wrong. I've been in this company a long time. I know the winds of change. And it appears to me that my job is going to be eliminated down the road. She said, you're exactly right, Brian. The only place that your job will exist is in metropolitan markets. Mansfield is not exactly a metropolitan market. <laughs> she said, is there any place else you consider going? Without knowing that that question was coming, the Lord had laid upon my heart to answer this way. Nancy, the only place I will consider moving in America is Phoenix, Arizona. That was in July or so. I don't remember the exact date. I think it was July or early August. 
That following November, my family and I are packing our bags. We're going to North Phoenix for the testimonies of Denise and Jeremiah. Josh, sorry Josh. Sorry Josh. Uh, and and we, are, we are catching a flight Thanksgiving morning in Columbus, 6 a.m. If you're familiar with Columbus at 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, it's very cold and pitch black. Very dark. Columbus parking facility at the airport is such that you have to be bused to the terminal. My boss Nancy had a discussion with the national sales manager. His name is Jacques. I said, good morning, Jacques. I knew that voice instantly. Who wouldn't know the national division sales manager's voice? Morning, Jacques. We get on the bus to go to the terminal, and he says, where are you going today? I said, well, my family and I are going to North Phoenix. We spent the holidays, we got some wonderful church work, and we're going out there for the holidays. He said, Brian, you're going to Phoenix a lot sooner than you think. And he didn't mean for the weekend. And he and I had not had a discussion about this any time within the time frame that I just mentioned. So we went to Phoenix and had a wonderful weekend. Thank the Lord. And came back, and I hear nothing for months. No news, no information until April of last year, Mar March of last year. End of March of last year, I get a co phone call from Nancy, my boss in Columbus. She says, Brian, you're going to get a call real soon from a manager in Phoenix. They have an unexpected retirement. They're looking for someone just like you, and you're going to get a call. I said, thank you, Nancy. I hung up the phone, and within 24 hours, I got the call. Brian, this is Stephen Suarez. I'm the manager in Phoenix. We'd like you to come out for an interview. We had an unexpected early retirement, and we need somebody just like you. I said, when would you like me? <laughs> he said, I want you to be interviewed next week with several managers, senior, senior executives. The position has been vacant for three weeks. And what he's implying in that is we need you immediately, if possible, and if you are chosen. In six days, I'm in Phoenix, and I'm interviewing for the job. I will tell you this. Before I got on the plane, I knew I had the job. Why? Just because of what God was doing. What are the chances exactly of running into the national sales manager at 6 a.m. in the dark, in the Columbus airport, at the same moment? What exactly is the possibility of that happening. Zero. 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 So I go to the interviews. The interviews go great. I also have competition for the job. Doesn't matter. I knew I was going to get the job. Not because I was good. Because I knew what God's will was. That's all that mattered. What God's will was. Sure enough, I flew home. I told my family to start packing. Even though they hadn't offered me the job. <laughs> They did a few days later. The next thing on the plate is, boy, I've got a house to sell. And 
given the fact that Mansfield is not exactly a thriving metropolitan area, houses don't sell real well in Mansfield, Ohio. As a matter of fact, the house right next to me has now been vacant for 10 months because the previous owners had to go to another job in Virginia and they had to leave the house empty for 10 months. That's irrelevant to me. I know what God's doing here. We put the house up for sale, but I've got to be in Phoenix on May the 6th to start the work. That gives me a grand total of 10 days. No problem. On the seventh day, after we put a for sale sign in the front yard, we have the realtor bring by a couple. Their true name is Bill and Trudy Miracle. I'm not kidding. That's their name. <laughs> Still makes me laugh. Uh, they're in the house. They're looking at the house for an hour and a half. You know, we're sitting next door. They're supposed to be long gone. We're actually on the, on the porch of the vacant property next door, trying to kill some time, giving them time to leave because the realtors don't want you, you know, in gumming up the mucks while they're trying to sell your house. They don't leave. There's food in the oven that's now going to start burning, and Hillary is sent over to turn off the oven. Hillary walks into the house, and they inquire as to... What are you doing here? Uh, I'm here just to turn off the oven. <laughs> it's my house, or some, some words like that. And uh, they said, oh, where's your parents? Oh, they're sitting next door. They're just kind of waiting for you guys to leave. <laughs> uh, or some such. Well, not exactly, but that's close. It's a good gentle drift. Oh, we can bring them over. We want to meet them. Okay, so we, we walk over onto the property, and they introduce themselves as Bill and Trudy Miracle. I thought I was hearing things. Uh, say that again? And uh, they're just enamored with the property. I mean, they're just gushing over it, right? I'm thinking, man, God, you are amazing. You are really amazing. And, uh, and I asked, the, it's 5.30 in the afternoon. At 6.30 every day, we have a family of four deer that come out of the woods on the right, go across our lawn into the woods on the left. It's like clockwork. I said, I said to Mr. Miracle, do you, do, you, do you like wildlife? This is the salesman coming out of me here. Do you like wildlife? He said, I love wildlife. I said, it's too bad you're an hour early. In an hour at 6.30, there's going to be four deer. They're going to come out of the, uh, the woods on the right. They're going to run across our yard into the woods on the left. And on cue, those four deer, scared by God, run right across the yard an hour early. Amazing. I had to get in the car the next day to begin my travel to Phoenix. I got in the car and I knew that they were coming back probably to make an offer on Friday. It's Wednesday. Tuesday night they were there. We had all that experience I just described. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. I'm heading in the car. I'm heading towards Phoenix. I get to Flagstaff, Arizona, two hours from Phoenix. It's now a three-hour time difference. I know that they've been to the house. They probably made an offer. I hope. I believe. I believe the Lord. They made an offer. I call back. Sure enough, there's an offer. It's a good offer. It's not a great offer. 
So I counter, being the businessman that I am. I counter, believe in God <laughs> and trusting in Him. And I said, I'll be in Phoenix in two hours. Call me there if you have a reply. I get to Phoenix. I'm at Sonny and Esther's house, spending a couple days while I'm waiting for my apartment. The phone rings as we are sitting in the hot tub. It's great. The house is sold. The day I arrive in Phoenix, before I hit the pillow, the house is sold. Isn't that incredible? That's how God wants to direct your life. Just like that. I am not special. I am not unique. But I do rely upon knowing what God's will is before I do anything. Someone, a brother in the faith, I, I went back a couple weeks later to Ohio to do some business and I was at a chorister program. One of the choristers came up to me after the program and said, boy Brian, it must feel wonderful to have all of these weighty decisions behind you. I said, brother, I don't remember making a decision. That was the honest truth. I just waited for God to do it. That's all. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to challenge you not to do anything until you know what God's will is. Now we all know what the baseline is. We all know John 3.16 because he printed it for us. We all know that. What you don't know is beyond that. What he wants you to know is everything beyond that at exactly the right moment. All right. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been stimulated. I hope and pray to the Lord God Almighty that you live your life this way. Because this way is God's way. This way you can know for certainty it's God's way. This is the way to true happiness. This is the way to know that when you get to heaven, that warehouse is not full of boxes that you didn't ask for or wait for. But that indeed on earth, every single one of them was heaped upon you because you asked, you waited, and you received. And if you do those things, you'll have the most blessed life that you could ever imagine. Thank you for being here this morning.